creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk You're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Danny J. Pizza. Today on the show, we have author, cartoonist, illustrator, Zach Gorman. Zach Gorman, everybody. I had a fantastic time getting to know this guy. Zach Gorman, if you don't know, he is an Emmy Award winning artist. Uh, won an Emmy for his work on Over the Garden Wall a show from Cartoon Network, which you have, if you haven't seen, it's a little dark and creepy, but it is a masterwork. He he worked on that. He also wrote a book we're going to talk about called Thisbe Thestoop, the first of which I read, and I that's why I wanted him on the show, because I just, I love it. It's just a great book. My, my son read it and was a big fan as well. We just found it at the local library. Since then, I've followed Zach, one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. Just an incredible artist. I love his perspective, and he also has been um, a podcast listener of this podcast, and since I had this conversation with him, I've thought about it a ton. I really appreciate his kind of approach to creativity and his openness to explore different perspectives. And I definitely hope that I get to have another chat with him and have him on the show again. You're going to love it. If you don't know Zach, go follow him on Twitter and on Instagram at Zach Gorman, Z-A-C-G-O-R-M-A-N. Incredible creative. Um, enjoy my conversation with Zach Gorman. This episode is supported by In the Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In the Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In the Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site, it's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, 
all one word, all uppercase. Thanks for doing this. Man. I, I have to say, I am very excited. <laughs> I am, and I am not hyping. I am so pumped. Like, I haven't really talked to anybody on the podcast with the experience that you have. I've talked to a bunch of different types of creative people, but nobody that has kind of done the kinds of things that you've done. Maybe a little bit with Go Shrimp. Do you know him? Uh, I don't know him personally. I'm just, just his work. Yeah. Yeah, the le- just his legend. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so I'm I'm super pumped. Thanks for doing this, man. I'm I'm really excited to have you on the show. Yeah, I I've been listening to a bunch of the other ones and uh, the interview stuff that you have done. And there's a lot of people. It, it was inter- there's like a lot of people that I didn't hadn't heard of before. And then I was like, oh, it's weird that I've never heard of this person. So I looked him up, and yeah, I've actually met, I've actually been introduced to some cool folks by listening to old episodes of the podcast. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm very honored. We'll probably at some point the official interview will start, but we're going to just like uh get get going on it. Um so I have a million things that I want to ask you and I have and I really just want to kind of chat through a bunch of normal stuff, but because I'm so intrigued by the stuff that you've done, some of this, I, my approach is going to be slightly more formal than usual. So I hope you don't mind. But the first question I had, a lot of creative interviews, they start with like, how did you know you had a, when, when did you first find out you had a talent for this thing? But mm-hmm. I kind of prefer to talk about when you got a taste for something and from what I've gathered in my research, it sounds like things really started to click when you discovered French comics. Is that right? Yeah, that's a hundred percent right. I'm surprised that that's like, that's good research. I, I, <laughs> I always thought I was going to like, uh, yeah, it, I'm actually like, I'm impressed because it's something that I must've, I must've mentioned it in like interviews or something, but that was, it was huge and it was a total fluke. I was, when I was living in Berkeley, California with my wife, she was going to school there. There was a comic store. There's a really cool comic store that I'm I'm totally blanking on the name of. It's kind of a famous store because like right around the corner from it is actually Image Comics, like headquarters, which is nothing. It's like it looks Image Comics headquarters looks like a hole in the wall. I didn't know it was there for like the years that I lived there. I found out after the fact. I was like, oh, that's where they are right there. But there's this really cool comic store right around the way. And I was just like in there flipping through their stuff, just looking for anything. And and I came across the Dungeon series. And in particular, it was like Dungeon Early Years by it was drawn by Christoph Blaine. And I saw that and it was like nothing else I'd ever seen. I, it like it hit me so hard and I didn't know what it was. At first I picked it up. It was in the kids section, which was funny because it doesn't belong in the kids section at all. It was misshelved and uh, nothing against that comic shop. I'm sure it happens all the time. So it looks like it's like an anthro, you know, silly, like medieval anthro comic. But there's also like sex and, and violence and stuff in it. Um, so it's not, it's not a kid's book. But uh, and then like that was my introduction to to like French comics. I had no, like, I didn't grow up with them at all. And that was pretty late in life. You know, I was, um, I don't even know how old I was or what year that was. I guess it was probably like 2007, 2008. I could do that math, but I don't, I don't want to at this point. <laughs> it's not a math podcast. <laughs> we avoid it at all costs. So it was like 2007. And what, what do you think it was about that? That was so different or lit up your creative taste buds in a new way that you hadn't experienced? It was raw, you know, it was like, um, 
the art was like super unrefined. Like I grew up with superhero books. I read a ton of Marvel growing up, which is funny because I feel so disconnected from it now, even though I just did a, uh, a short story for Marvel. That I don't know if I'm like allowed to talk about, but it's part of their new, I think they launched their new, if, if they haven't, I guess we can edit this out or whatever, but I think they lost, <laughs> I think they launched their new like vertical scrolling series. I did like a Fantastic Four short for their like vertical scroll. I just wrote it. I didn't draw it. So I, I'm still like, I, I've had dipped a toe a little bit into that world. Like it's, I, I had done another book for Marvel that was super short lived, but I, I like, I'm so disconnected from that now. And and so growing up, that was like my only influence though. I was just like a hundred percent, you know, superhero comics. And then with, with the exception of like Calvin and Hobbes and, and those other things that like every kid from who, every kid who's like around my age grew up loving. Um, yeah. Which obviously had like had like a huge huge impact, and I still really love comic strips. But uh, but French comics were like something. It was just like a totally different. The drawings were like crude, but in a way that was so simple and direct. And the color palettes they were using, and just everything about the composition. You, you know what's funny is I can pretty much pinpoint it down to one image in that book that like I saw it. And I was just so floored. There's one in the dungeon, in dungeon uh, early years, volume one, there's this one drawing of this, the character, main character, the night shirt or whatever. That's the name he goes by is like, he's got like a superhero identity kind of thing. And he's like standing on top of this gargoyle. It's like very Batman-esque, I guess, in a way. But it's like, uh, you know, it's very French and like sort of the romantic and all these like gothic buildings. And he's like, presenting a, a flower i think to this woman who's hanging out and it's just it's so simple and it's just so powerful and so perfect and i, and I saw that and i was like i think i could do that like i think i can draw that way i could never really draw it I'm, I'm not skilled in anatomy i never put in the time to learn i never really wanted to i was always just like wanting to communicate things in a very direct way and sort of letting the art get out of the way like i just want it to be striking and you get it you look at it and you get it and then you can kind of move on and and i know i know like if you actually look at my drawings and stuff they, they always look very fidgety so i'm not <laughs> i got a little bit of it with like the sort of crudeness but then i tend to over render and make all those other things that i've been trying to wean myself away from for years although i've sort of i sort of don't draw nearly as much as i used to anymore so that, I'm, that is so fascinating because one thing I maybe haven't really thought much about is the Venn diagram of those moments that you experience, what invites you in so much or what lights you up. And I do think that Venn diagram that you're describing is something I experienced. I've heard it a million times, which is this is amazing. So this is like, I love it. And I somehow see how I could do it. It's both of those things. Does that feel right to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I would look at other stuff. Uh, there were other artists I remember growing up loving, um, and but I never felt like I could do that. You know, it was just, they were too skilled as drafts, drafts people that I, I just felt like it was unattainable for me, uh, at least with the level of effort I was willing to put in. <laughs> I guess I should specify, yes. I just like never tried that hard uh, to actually learn how to you know, uh, foreshorten and draw proper anatomy, which I probably should have if I really wanted to get into comics, which was sort of my first love was like wanting to do comics, um, which I know sounds strange because I was just talking about how I always felt like I never really could and it was never really quite perfect for me. But but I just, you know, I, I loved that even though this isn't true of like the superhero books or Marvel or DC, I love that it felt like a thing that you could kind of achieve on your own. That, you know, I've always been drawn to stuff like that because it, it, I, I don't know, I guess maybe it's like an ego thing if I really, if I want to overanalyze it and like 
credit to critique myself. Maybe it's, maybe yeah. it's just like, I don't want to work with a partner. Um, although as the older I get, the more appealing it becomes. And the more I've actually been like trying to cultivate those sort of relationships with people. So, yeah, that's really fascinating. I think it's interesting too. Like it would make sense that those, bo- because up until a point you're interacting with a bunch of stuff that is super awesome that you don't think you could do. And then there's a bunch of stuff that seems really crappy that you could do. You're like, it's real. I mean, it's terrible and I could definitely do that, but why would I want to? And there is something weird about that kind of space in between. You're like, this is awesome. It's like telling you also something about yourself. That's yeah. That's really interesting. I've never really thought of it that way. So I've, I'm over halfway through Fisby, and I have to say, I was pumped to talk to you because my son and I discovered that book together at the library. That's when I started following you on Twitter. We've talked a bit since then. Um, I'm a huge fan of Over the Garden Wall, but I'm telling you, half over halfway through this book, I'm like, Okay, now I'm nervous to talk to Zach because I freaking love this book so much. I, it is so, it's so my taste and I'm just, and I'm enamored with the whole thing. And so I want to just use that, if you're cool with it, as an example of your work and kind of look at it from a few different angles. But first off, I just had to say, I love this book so much. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it, it was you know, it was a really interesting path to making a book because I had never, again, before I wrote that book, I had never really considered being an, a prose author. I was like, that, again, it seemed it seemed unattainable. I was like, well, this is nothing. This is something I, I can't do. And I'd written some comics and that was about, and then I guess some writing via the storyboarding uh, stuff. But I, at that point, I hadn't even done any like script writing or anything. So it was really just, I, I feel like I was like super unproven as a writer. And just, that was like the first prose book I finished. And I, and I got it published, which I know is like, it's, it's like the opposite of that Stephen King story where he's, I mean, since then, I will specify that since then, um, I've written many other books and had, have not been able to get any of them published. So it's not like, (laughs) (laughs) it just happened to be the right book at the right time. Um, more than, you know, I'm a genius and I wrote a book and it, of course my first book got published. That's really not the case. It's just, it was just the right place at the right time, which is so much of publishing is just, Oh, th- this publisher, this editor, whatever, was looking for a book like this, and they saw it, and it fit exactly what they were looking for. Um, so it was super. It was super lucky, and it, if anything, it kind of set my expectations um, a little too high because it, it became very <laughs> disheartening when I've written several other books since then and have not been able to publish them. Um, especially because you know I'm proud of Thisbe and and the sequel, both of them. Um, yeah. I think they're. I, I think they're. They're good now. One of the things that I love to do is kind of get granular in the process in a way that I hope doesn't borderline on pedantic, but I feel like sometimes it's just really demystifying to do that. And from the research that I've done, it sounds like you did a bunch of crappy jobs growing up it, by your own words. You, said <laughs> that you kind of phoned it in in college, like you weren't mm-hmm. really in your thing there and that you also didn't ever really see yourself being successful early on. Like you didn't see that coming. And I'm just, I'm really fascinated uh, how someone like that goes to be an Emmy award-winning storyboard artist and published author and making volumes of comics. And more specifically on this particular book, I just wanted to see like, what, what, what is the full process of, all the way from wherever this book came from as an idea to getting it published. I'd love to hear the story because 
I've done a bunch of different creative things, made picture books. I've done tons of client work. I've been doing a podcast seven years. I do public speaking, but as I'm like about to talk to someone who has written a book like Thisbe that just has this dense lore and just all kinds of, I mean, the writing is great writing. I can just feel like, how do you know that you have this in you? What is the process of this thing unfolding? So if you could just kind of walk through in specificity, what it looks like to go from the idea of this book to it, what it is now. I hesitate to say this because I know the nature of your show because I've been listening to the show, <laughs> which is why I reached out to see if, you know, like I was a fan first, I think. <laughs> I, st I started listening to it and oh, actually cool. it hit me, uh, not to like, totally derail your question. I will get back to that. I'll circle back. That's fine. We but, got time. Um, you know, I started listening to the show because I was feeling like I needed a little more focus or something on my creative practice because it's because historically I have been just flying by the seat of my pants for 30 some odd years, letting things kind of happen organically. And it's, and it's sort of been great for me in a lot of respects, but it's definitely not advice I have ever given to another person or would ever <laughs> give to another person. It's just, oh yeah, just go with the flow, man. And that's, but my whole thing has kind of been just go with the flow. Yeah. And I've been really fortunate and really unbelievably lucky in a lot of those regards of putting work out there at the right time in the right place and getting eyes on it and just constantly adapting and trying new things. Uh, with, with Thisbe, it was, you know, like I said, I had never written a prose book, which is not entirely true. My wife, if she listens to this, she probably won't, uh, loves, to, <laughs> loves to point out that I did before I wrote Thisbe, I did try to write, I did write one of those, um, national novel writing month challenges like a year or so before um, and that was the first thing that sort of let me know, like, yeah, I don't know, maybe I could write prose. I, I never really considered it finished. So that's why I tend to say that, like, well, this be sort of the first book I wrote. Um, Can you just real quick, I, I believe I understand it fully, just talk about the difference between writing storyboarding and writing prose, just because my audience is all over the map creatively. Yeah. Um, well, writing, it, you know, there's, there's two, there's two different types of shows, essentially in animation. There are uh, script driven shows and board driven shows. And I've worked on both at this point. Um, and a script driven show you is, it's like a traditional TV show where you, you write the script and the storyboarders, um, they, they punch it up, you know, and they, and they add visual jokes and they will make it funnier not to take anything away from the, the visual writing that they're doing. But it's but they do stick to the script. And whereas a, a board driven show, which kind of became, you know, really popular with the rise of shows like Adventure Time and wasn't um, if I, I mean, I am not the best historian. So that might be someone might correct me on that. But I've heard the same thing. Actually. Yeah, there's this whole yeah. sort of wave that came in with Adventure Time, putting sort of younger creative talent up front and letting the, the board, the storyboard artists do more of the writing and board driven shows. And so that is very different. That's sort of more like making comics versus writing prose in my mind. It's, it's, it, I think like it kind of, it's, it's, it's difficult to say because script writing is sort of like a particular discipline of writing, but it's also sort of very visual, sort of like comics where you're like, it, which those things all kind of meld together. And to me, prose writing feels like its own weird thing. Like aside from that, like I kind of lump all that together, like storyboarding and comics and script writing that all feels kind of of the same nature and then you go over to prose writing and I know there's a lot of similar story is the thread that you know weaves through all of them you have to be a good storyteller and you try to be a good storyteller in all those mediums but but prose writing really does feel like very loose and rambly and you get to have fun with language in ways that you know you don't really 
in the other things. And it, and it all lives, you know, entirely in the audience's head, whereas the other thing lives in front of the audience, you know, so it, which is a, a totally different place to be, I think. And so if you're thinking about the audience, it's, it's a very different experience, even reading a comic versus reading like a prose book. It's, it's different because it's, it's not living in your eyes. It's living in your head. Like the words on the page are, you know, I'm sure people who do layouts for books might take offense to that, but you know, the, the words, the way that they look on the page doesn't matter as much as like what the words mean with a comic, it's all very visual. Right. So, so I, I think it's like a different way of thinking. You tend to wear a lot of hats doing comics or storyboards. You're crafting this whole little visual world or whatever. And I will, I will say that um, over the garden wall was actually the first storyboard I ever did. Really? I've, I've done very few storyboards really. Um, which is funny because it's, because I worked on a show that is just, so good and i'm not and i feel like comfortable <laughs> saying that because i take you know so little ownership of it you know it's oh, entirely over the garden wall is that right. what you're talking about yeah it is so wall. good there's no there's no denying that it's when i watched that i was like what is this this blew my mind yeah i mean i and feel if like you haven't watched it watch <laughs> it it's so good even though i'm even though i worked on it you know i feel like i'm a fan first foremost because i just love that show so much and pat is just a genius and and a hell of a nice guy and uh working with him was just great and and he took a i feel like he, he's one of those creators who took a lot of chances on younger unproven talent i hadn't done any storyboards before but he had seen some stuff i did and liked it and hired me to work on the show. And this is, you know, I started, I started working on that show actually before it was even called over the garden wall. So it was like, I was, I was doing the first, I storyboarded what was the first episode and ended up becoming the ninth episode. So, so I, I get a credit, I think on the first episode, but I really like didn't hardly touch what actually became the first episode, but you know, that was my first time. And a lot of these things you just kind of figure it out as you go. That's I, yeah. so, you know, going with the flow is sort of like the thing I've always kind of done. It's always, done me pretty good but i know again that's not advice i would ever give to anyone else and i know it's the opposite I, it's like the antithesis of this show which is like <laughs> cultivate practices and like put, put in the hours and i'm like i don't know sometimes someone will email you and ask you if you want to work on this incredible show and just you which know I, I would love to just address that because one one thing that because sometimes because i i talk to a lot of people who got to incredible places by going with the flow and actually my opinion is go with the flow. If it's taking you places you want to go, it's almost the best way, even just to have fun with the organic way that it unravels in an un unexpected way like that. That's incredible. And I, I do think of my show as one when the, when the, when it's not flowing and you need to create your own waves, so to speak, here's a bunch of ideas. And in my mind, that's all they are. It's like a postmodern kind of, approach to truth where it's not like, this is it. It's more just like, here's concept creation. Here's a bunch of ideas. Try, try, these things, when I get stuck or the flow's not flowing, these are the things that I do to help myself get to places I want that are better than where I am right now. Anytime the flow's going, I just let it go. That's, that's for sure. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the flow. And you have ADHD, right? Yes. Okay, because I, I also was diagnosed like within the last two years or something. And it was yeah. just like a, like a light switch came on. Because I, I was one of those people who was just reading um, about it on, on the internet. And I was like, you know what's crazy? Uh, like every one of these symptoms sounds exactly like me. And I should probably look into this. And I, so I, like, I had never, 
Um, I think I was one of those people, one of those kids, a lot of kids, like I probably was still um, when I was a kid, I probably, but my symptoms weren't ones that like, it was more about like um, inattention and less about hyperactivity. Yeah. So you don't get diagnosed as often with that. Yeah. And, uh, but it was always like my whole life. I've been like, oh, I'm just scatterbrained. Oh, I just lose things. I just kind of, so part of going with the flow is also me not committing to anything and kind of just like, and then a new thing shows up and you know, my focus is just like, well, do that now. So that's kind of the seedy underbelly of going with the flow is probably a lot of what I mean by that is just not sticking to things for very long. Yeah. And in my experience with ADHD, one of the things, and I think it's not even limited to ADHD, but a lot of creative people that are divergent thinkers have an ability to like think of a bunch of options, but have a really hard time choosing one. That's why I think so many of my episodes are about like, here's a bunch of frameworks for making a choice and, and sticking to it and try, you know, for a period of time or whatever. So yeah, I, I completely relate to it. And I wondered actually, I wasn't going to go there today. If you did have ADHD, just by the way that you talk about work and career and, and other things that I've heard you talk about in the past, I deeply relate to. Um, <laughs> so I, it makes tons of sense. Okay. Going back to Fisbee, mm -hmm. the first thing I heard you say is writing prose started as you had a habit which with this challenge. So you made it a habit. And then after you'd kind of gotten into the flow of what that feels like, where did this idea for the book come from? Well, you know, I sort of played my hand because the, you know, I mentioned that what got me into comics in the first place was Dungeon, um, the series, the French series. And like the idea for Fisbee is so lifted from that uh, in a way that I almost feel embarrassed by. But it, but but then again, I'm like, yeah, but it was a comic, and it's like, but it, yeah, that's but, but the, the idea. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I'd always wanted to like so so it's that and it's other it's it's that and it's I came to playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons like D and D and other tabletop RPGs really late in life, but they. Like I was in my 20, early 20s when I started playing, which is, you know, it's not like late in life, but it's, you know, older than I felt like a lot of people that I knew, all my friends who had started, started in, you know, middle school, high school, whatever. I played my first one a week and a half ago and I'm 35 <laughs> oh, wow. and I, and I loved it. But yeah. Anyway. So, so I, I came to that in my early 20s and it, and it had a huge impact on me. So it's, it's sort of like a combination of, there's a lot of dungeon French comic series created by Louis Trondheim, shout out to Louis Trondheim. Uh, and, but it's, it's had, it's also had like the best of the best with like the rotation of um the comic artists who come through and touch that series so it's like a it's a collaborative effort but it was a little bit of that maybe a lot of maybe too much of that and then a lot of D, &D. <laughs> uh and, and then just the other thing that is i love um bottle stories i love like stories where um from film when they're episodes of tv whatever it's all in one location essentially i love that i don't know what what it is about that but i just it's like my favorite thing so i was like can well, you give us some sorry i didn't mean oh, to yeah. interrupt no, no, i love i love little bits of like you know plot device and terminology and whatnot can you just unpack that term and maybe some examples yeah, so I, I think I learned the term from an episode of Community, but a bottle episode in TV is when the entire episode is shot in one location, in one room, in one whatever. And, and you know, it happens in movies too. Like, uh, I love this really cheesy horror movie from the 1980s um, called Chopping Mall. And Chopping Mall all takes place in, in a mall. And I, I, in general, I also love things set in old 80s and 90s malls just because I, I, it speaks to my soul. I grew up going to Fairlane Mall in uh, the Metro Detroit area. 
in Dearborn where I grew up and uh, it had like a really great vibe and aesthetic. It was just a cool, it was a cool environment. And I, and actually I worked some jobs there. I spent a lot of time there as a kid. So it had a big impact on me, just the space of it. And I think because of things like that, I've, I don't know, I've always had this idea that there's something kind of special about doing an entire story that's set in one location. Or, and so, so to me, it was like, all right, well, let's just make the dungeon, the mountain, you know, the, the it's essentially like a D&D dungeon or whatever. You know, let's let's make it all like just one location and it'll all be set there, basically. And, you know, we I ended up, you know, cutting away a bit. But um, and for people that don't know that in this book, there's just this elaborate, enormous dungeon with like worlds inside of it kind of thing secret tunnels did the mall that you worked at have like the secret mall tunnels it, like yeah, behind it, stores yeah so when i worked there in the food court at hot dog on a stick i was one of those guys who wore the little blue shorts and like the striped colored shirt and like when awesome. they make you like plunge the lemonade in front of everyone and it's this very like churning butter kind of thing and it's really just what the worst it is so degrading and, and it feels like very intentionally degrading. Like they're like, ah, oh, we're going to punish you for working here. And um, just, w- just kind of inappropriately weird. Like what yeah, the it heck is, is going on there? It is anyway. weird. Yeah. We used to get, uh, we would trade, uh, food with the other food court vendors and just, and then throw everything in the deep fryer. It would, that was like a, a bit we would do when we'd work there. Like, oh, we're going to get chicken from the place next door. Let's dip it in the corn dog batter and put that in the fryer and see what happens. <laughs> But yeah, there were there were like the you know the mall tunnels and and the when you get to see the other side of it, it's actually really cool. One of my favorite things, honestly, one of the best things that's ever happened to me was one night we were working like a late shift doing some sort of inventory management or whatever, and we got to stay in the mall after it closed, and we were just running around and climbing on stuff and playing in an abandoned mall after it closed. And let me tell you, that's like a once in a lifetime experience that like sticks yeah. with you. It's like oh, that was just it was just so much fun. It was, it was magic, man. I, everyone should get to have an experience like that. Being somewhere where you're not like a big public space like that after closing is just, oh, it's great. My dad always coached basketball and we'd end up like in the weirdest places in rural Indiana, like a giant old church school. And you're not supposed to do this, but while they're playing the game, I would just explore the whole thing. And it just felt eerie and wrong and just like the coolest thing ever. So I think I get a taste of what you're Yeah. And to take it back to like the, the book, I think it's like those feelings like that. And, and that's a lot of, you know, I, I think for me, the story, story stuff is kind of, you put in the effort and like the story and world building stuff, but ultimately there's this other thing you have to do. And it's just sort of like generate this like feeling like it has to have some sort of, I don't know what the right word for it is like transcendence. Maybe I know that's a, a I use it. I know I shouldn't, but I do. Yeah, it's, you know, it's something that kind of like takes you and gives you that, that feeling. And that's, that's what you want to capture with like your, you know, all the, all the the world building and setting stuff is all just a way to get there. The story is, story kind of stands on its own, I guess a little bit, but the rest of that set dressing, that's, to me, that's where it's, that's where you're taking it to is like those moments where like everything kind of coalesces. It's here's the scene and here are the characters and here's the, 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 just the vibe. I know vibe is a thing that the kids use now. It's vibe, uh, but just like capture that perfect vibe. I'll just go ahead and say it, whatever. Own it. And, and, that, and that's it. Like you hit those moments. And I, you know, when I was doing like magical game time, for example, that was like that to a T, I just distilled that out. It was like, okay, well find the heart of the thing. And just do it in like three panels, you know, and, and, and that's it. Like, so where's, 
the heart of this game or the whatever. And, and just, and so I was only showing, I was trying basically to only show those moments where it's like, uh, and you know, I beat myself up about this a little bit that it's like overly sentimental doing stuff like that, where you're just sort of cutting out all the, those legwork to get you there. And you're kind of just like, it feels like cheating a little bit. Um, it's a little hallmark. Do you feel like that? I mean, I'm into it. You know, (laughs) you've listened to the show, you, you know, I'm here for it, but do you feel like that, like boiling that down? We, we've talked to a story expert on the podcast who called that the armature, like which is like the heart of the thing. Do you feel like those little versions then get kind of, uh, are at, still at the core of something like as elaborate as Thisbe? There's still a core at the bottom of that that then just gets all these layers added to it. Yeah, I think in a way, so I've listened to a little bit of that story podcast. I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, I think it's a really good podcast. And it's funny because it runs in opposition with so much of the way that I approach story. But I actually think there's still like a ton of value in it. It strikes me as like being very utilitarian uh, in a way that I like kind of bump up against with my whole like, ah, go with the flow kind of thing. And by the way, just so I can say, I agree. And I actually know a lot of my favorite people. And the episode after that, I actually went in and dove into, let's just flip that whole, their whole process on its head. Mm-hmm. Because I know people like uh, Taika Watiti do the exact opposite where they're like, let's start with like the vibe. Let's like, <laughs> let's like put, we all want this kind of stuff. And then, you know, halfway through making the movie, they're like, oh, this is what it's about. And it's almost like a, um, for me, that process is similar, only it's an intuitive thing rather than like, yeah starting with the heart, you're like, I know there's something under this that I really gravitate towards. And I'm just going to start putting stuff down and dig into it. And then along the way, maybe it's by accident or you're just get good at finding those patterns, but it also could just be like your intuition was right. There was something under there, but I, I am not married to either side, but I think they're both kind of interesting tools to put in your, your belt. I'll I'll put it this way. Even though I, tend to work in a pretty opposite way. I feel like I've listened to a dozen or so episodes of that podcast and I think it's really helpful and interesting and insightful. I, cause I, I do think there's, you know, I think it's good in a way to learn that stuff and then be able to just kind of intuit it. Like you learn it and then you can just kind of feel it out um, as opposed okay. to having to sit down and like, um, but it, I do think it's important to, to, to not understand those sort of things. And, and I've, I've always like, I've read a lot of books on, on story and I never reference them while I'm working though. I, I read it and I think, oh, this is great and really interesting. And then when it comes time to work, I just kind of let myself work. Um, but I do think it's important to like lay that groundwork and get to know that stuff um, and refresh yourself on it. But I forget where I was going with this. Uh, so okay. <laughs> I can, so here's what I'm hearing so far, which this is a pattern that I've seen in plenty of t- places. You had a ha- you had a habit, like you were doing it. Then you like picked up the torch of things that you loved mm-hmm. and then you added your own experience. And I'm seeing Thisbe as this elaborate dungeon mall now <laughs> with like back, uh, you know, but you know, all these secret tunnels was, and everything, which I, is very awesome. I was really a thing I really liked, which I probably stole from other places. Um, probably I, Oh, the other thing I should say is a huge influence on the book. I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, that the whole reason that I was confident that I could write and that I found a voice for writing prose was reading Terry Pratchett. To me, that, that meant like his stuff, which was, and you know, there's a ton of that in Disby where it's, it's sort of very, it's very like 
cheeky and kind of goofy and funny at the same time as being kind of um, scary and monstery and stuff. So I probably stole it from from him or somewhere else. But but the the idea that also the the dungeon wasn't like a fixed space. It's sort of like a liminal space, I guess. As, again, as the kids would say now, like I never wanted you to be able to map it. Like I didn't want like a I didn't want to do the you know the book plate at the beginning in the back, which has a map of it, like it's a Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Uh, I, I wanted it to be just like a anything goes kind of space. And it's ever, like a dream feels like a dream yeah yeah dream like logic that's something i'm actually like really into and sort of have been exploring more as an adult is i i've gotten more surreal i've gotten looser with it you know the older i get i get you know my, my life has actually changed a lot too my life my approach to our everything since i've become a dad has been like a huge I don't know. I mean, like, in a way, it's just I've been a lot less productive and had more time for, you know, navel gazing moments in between changing diapers or whatever. Uh, But I I think uh, fundamentally, I'm like sort of embracing a lot of these sort of artsy ideas that I feel like I was sort of dismissive of younger earlier in my career. The thing about listening to that podcast, for example, is I feel like that was sort of my approach for for when I was younger, I always felt like but you can kind of break something down into its elements. Um, and I know there's like, an emo- I always knew there was like an emotional heart that was the most important thing to me. There was this, the emotion, the emotions of the story were the most important thing. But other than that, I felt like everything else you could kind of just divvy up and put these blocks together and it would make a good story or a good, you know, book or whatever. And now as I've gotten older, I've actually like kind of rejected that idea a little bit. And I think it, I think it is sort of more free form than we, than we think it is sometimes that it, that it is like, you know, you have all these different life experiences and all these things that kind of add to whatever the thing you're making is. And, and it's not going to fit in, in a mold. Like you kind of might hope it does. Um, again, that's not to throw out the mold. It's, you don't have to throw out the concept of the mold, but just, you know, I also think there's a, there's a seasonal thing to creativity and there's also the whole learn all the rules forget all the rules, make, make the stuff, that kind of idea. And so I also think there's just a, there's an ebb and flow of like, there was a time when learning all of that structure was super helpful. Then there's just a time to do it. I think of it, I'm not a sports person, but I think (laughs) it makes a ton of sense of like, when you're in the game, you're not thinking about the tapes. You're hopefully not thinking at all. You're just doing the thing. But that doesn't mean there's not a time for like, reviewing best practices, watching the tapes, you know, re, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I, I, yeah, it's just fascinating to me because I think, and that's one of the tricky things about, that's kind of why I've tried more and more with the podcast to approach it through the lens of concept creation of be like, this is a bunch of stuff. Pick and choose. It's a buffet. What are the things that are like relevant to you or like mostly just like are any of these ideas exciting enough to get you to keep going? I, you know, yeah, that kind of yeah, process. I, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I have occasionally been a sports fan and almost never been a sports and like an athlete. Uh, I, a couple of years ago, well into my 30s, a friend of mine who's been playing hockey his whole life convinced me to I barely can skate convinced me to start playing this pickup game with them. And I, I, so I started, I, it was very, very casual. I can't stress enough how casual it is. It was, so it was cool. Like I got <laughs> so out there. I don't want to get any undue credit about your hockey game. Yeah, I, I got oh, I got God. in there and I was, you know, having fun for a while and like struggling. I'm the worst guy. I was the worst guy out there by far. And then I uh, slipped one night and fell into those the boards and literally cracked my collarbone in half, just like layered it on top of itself. And, uh, and that was the end of my, that was the, my most recent <laughs> foray into sports. So. 
All right. I think I want to come back to that in yeah. a second, but, um, <laughs> well, I want to talk about, so you had the idea, you had the habit, you, you kind of felt like you could do it. I'm curious about what it looks like to prepare to write that book in terms of just the practical, like what were all the things that you did to, to get ready to, before you sat down and actually started writing it? Um, yeah. Yeah. If you want to talk a little bit about the actual like process, sure. That's yeah. I have like a pretty, I kind of always do the same thing more or less, which is I have a story idea uh, that's rough and just kind of let it percolate in my head for a few days, maybe jot some notes on my phone. And that's about, that's about the extent of it. And sometimes that, sometimes that stage can go on, you know, for months, sometimes it's like a week or something before I actually like sit down and I'm like, all right, I'm going to, once an idea sort of passes, whatever my internal litmus test is for like, okay, this is now worth pursuing to the next stage. The next stage of what I do is I basically all in one go, if I can just sit down and bullet point out like what's essentially an outline. Like I'm just going to walk through the story beat by beat. Sometimes I actually do like a little bit more of like a formal outline. It kind of depends on my mood, honestly, at the time or what or how much I think I understand the story. But basically, this is the same if I'm doing like an episode of TV, if I'm doing a comic, if I'm doing a prose book, I just sort of beat it all out like boom, 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 boom. Then from there, I just sort of like sit down and just get to work. Uh, you know, then the next stage is like, sometimes I'll do another couple passes of that if, if I think it's like really bad, but a, a lot of times I kind of just like, well, I'll let it develop more like in the actual process of writing. So for Thisbe, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It was idea, some notes here or there, a couple sketches, maybe then a bullet point sort of outline and then just go hit, hit the ground running. That phase when you're bullet pointing stuff, those are just like scrawled on paper you're just, you know, the, the basic ideas of how the story is going to develop in terms of the yeah, I, points. You know, in a way, I think like that's when I do my like real writing. The, the real writing happens in the outline almost where it's like this is the point. This is the time to figure out the flow of the story. And then everything else is just going to be kind of like decorating that. You've built the, the bones of the structure or whatever, you know, it's it's there and now you just got to decorate it. That's what all the writing is. And again, it's going to change as you write and you'll think of a new way to take something or whatever. And, you know, just kind of let it, I, I think it's good to like leave yourself that, that room to play there for sure, because you're going to come up with things as you're writing that you haven't thought out. I will say though, I do think an outline is really important for me. Maybe it's just how my brain works. Maybe it's part of the ADHD, but if I don't have an outline. I think I have the same. The outline is, I'm a, that's why I got so obsessed with story structure. I need that. I can break it, but if without that, I'm a goner. Yeah. So I feel you on that. Yeah, if I don't have an outline, I end up with a lot of really good half-finished books without outlines. I still have one that I think of from time to time that it's probably as long, it's probably about halfway finished and it's probably as long as the first Thisbe book. And, you know, I always like, I always want to go back to it, but I just don't know where it goes. And I feel like I'm lost in the mix. I, this is something I've been like sitting on for, for years at this point. And every year or so I'll pick it up and I'll write a couple more chapters. I'll like kind of push my way through, write a couple more. Maybe it'll get done one day, but that's why outlines are important. <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of good stories of artists that there's a, a long, like percolating story that just happens over time and you just kind of grows with your life. So maybe that's, maybe that's one of your, that's your, like, you know, your, your big one. But, uh, I'm curious what in the, in the outline or in the actual writing, there's, this could be the same question, but it might also just be different sides of the same question. What's the most fun 
And then what, and then also where do you find yourself? Cause I, I know this for me, the thing I love about making stuff, uh, not everybody feels this way, but for me, it's kind of like when stuff clicks in a surprising way or just something happens and you're like, yes, this is a thing like that kind of thing. Um, does that happen in the outline? Does that happen in writing a little bit of both? I would love for you to as granular as possible with this example of Fisby, talk about where that happens. One of those moments, if you can remember one, what it feels like, I just want to zoom in as much as possible. Yeah. I think working on the outline when you're, when you're breaking a story, I guess is what I would think of it as. Cause that's what, you know, I've worked in TV a bit and it's like when you're breaking the story and when you, there's something that's so satisfying about that feeling of like, putting the pieces together, it's solving a puzzle. It's, it's everything. Those are like, you're hundred percent right. The feeling of satisfaction you get from that is kind of the best that it gets in my opinion. Like where you're, when you, Oh, I got it. I got it. I, I solved the puzzle. I got it. It's all coming together. And it's, you know, I love like video games or whatever. It feels like that. It feels like you just leveled up or whatever. I got to the, like, it's very satisfying, but I do think there are also moments that sort of the stuff that emerges from the writing is it can be a little harder to tell because those sort of moments are more almost like for the audience. Maybe it's interesting. I'm trying to think of it, trying to think this through in my head, but there's something that I'm like a firm believer in. It's true of writing, drawing, whatever sort of like artistic thing you're doing. And that is that the emotion that you're putting in, in that moment, like actually has some sort of resonance that like the, that the other side connects to. And I don't know, this is one of my weirder, more ethereal, like floofier kind of ideas. Yeah. But I do think that it translates somehow. So there's there's sort of that little bit of letting yourself get lost in in the moment that you're creating and, and putting yourself there emotionally. And but it's not quite the same sort of, you know, switch flipping that, you know, when you're breaking a story and you get that like puzzle solving feeling. But it can be very sort of cathartic when you're when you really nail a moment that felt very important to you and you feel like, oh, God, I got that out of my system. But it's it's sort of like um it's a different feeling. It is sort of like a relief or sounds a, like almost like acting. Yeah, I think so. I, I, like, you know. And I don't know, I'm not an actor, but you, this idea, one thing I do a lot of before I create, not always, but I do a lot of like emotional priming, which is what actors do. A lot of actors do that where I'll watch clips or listen to particular music and try to get into that whatever that state that I'm trying to capture is, is that, is that what you're talking about? Am I yeah, understanding that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I do use music for that. Um, I've never, I've never thought to really use like uh, clips of something, but that's, that's clever. But I, I do, I do use music for that. I, I, I like, I like frequently when I'm breaking a story or when I'm just like not breaking the story yet. Sometimes in like the very early stages of a story of an idea, I like to find, you know, you find like the soundtrack or you find something that kind of reminds you of it or gets you to like a particular moment in it. And you just sort of don't do anything else. It's, you don't do anything else. It's important at this point to just like, I'm just have my headphones on. I, I'm walking around the neighborhood or I'm just sitting in the dark, like a weirdo or whatever. Um, and just kind of like listening and like visualizing and not trying to block the flow of anything. Just like, Hey, it's happening. And then, and then you might hit on like a moment that feels real. And then you're like, ah, I want to get, I want to try to recapture that later, which can be, you know, very difficult. Okay. Um, 
I'm very interested in this this zone of catharsis where you're trying to put on the page something from your life, but also experiencing it as you're putting it down. Were there particularly satisfying moments in Thisbe or any other piece that you want to kind of talk about? You know, I think in, I feel like there's one, I remember feeling really good about in the sequel, in the second Disney book, which is probably just more in my Don't mind because spoil it's, it for me, but it's yes, more in my mind fun. because it's, I did wrote it after the, after that. But I remember there's like one scene at the, at the beginning, the opening scene, like at the end of it, where, you know, it's, it's about like missing your friends. And, and I, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not going to explain anything, but like, <laughs> it's uh you know, it's like, and, and I felt like occasionally I get those moments where I feel like I really hit the nail on the head, but, but even then, I never really know. I I mean, it's more like I wait for someone else to tell me that I did it right. And someone goes, oh, I connected with that. And I, oh, oh, great. Like, I know working on just like the magical game time stuff, which again, it's, it's so silly. It's been well over a decade since I did, did that, you know, this is way in my past, but I'll still have people DM me on Twitter or email me out of the blue and be like, I just, I read this thing and they're like super connected with me. And it's like, oh, that's great. Like I've met people, well, not met, but you know, through the internet, people with like tattoos of you know, quotes from a throwaway comic strip that I did that uh, was on, on the internet. And, and so I, I, apparently I have, I have hit a couple moments that like connected with people, but it is, it is pretty few and far between. I do think you put a lot of those out there and then you end up with, you know, someone will tell you if it works, I guess. And I totally, totally agree. And the listeners know that I am a big believer in that part of the process, the reception of it and all, all that kind of thing. Are any of the moments even outside of Thisbe that you think I'm um, particularly, I, you feel like, oh, I really captured something from, from my life or could be even one of those things that people got tattooed or <laughs> I just love an example have, of what we're talking about. So I worked on this show costume quest that uh, it's an animated series based on the video game. Um, I had done a graphic novel based on costume quest that sort of didn't take place in any real like timeline, just sort of in between the games roughly that, uh, and so through that, I ended up like developing the show for animation, which I developed the series uh, Costume Quest. I actually, the pilot, which is not public, I wrote mm. and boarded and like did all like the, not all, a lot of the character designs for, um, and Pat McHale from Over the Garden Wall actually came in and directed it. And it's this really, it's the pilot's like really great too. And um, we pitched that and Amazon ended up buying it. Um, and I, but when the show, when it came around for the show, I was just a staff writer. I didn't actually show run it it was a whole can of worms and i'd be happy to get into that if you want to talk about animation industry stuff but uh, <laughs> how i ended I've up had a, i've ended had up, just a taste of that but uh, yeah how so i ended I up uh, pitching a show and then just being a, a staff writer on it but but anyway <laughs> uh yeah. so there's an episode of the costume quest where as an example of pulling something from my real life the danger bike man episode is one that i wrote and uh I don't remember what number it is. Um, it's one about two brothers. And so my older brother had this character, Danger Bike Man. This is like literally one for one. I just straight up took the name from him when we were kids and we would ride our bikes together around the neighborhood and he'd call himself Danger Bike Man. It was like the real dumbest thing. I don't know where it came from, but I guess I guess Danger Bike Man was like, a he was like a superhero. He rode a bike and he lived dangerously. And that was sort of the, the whole bit. That's awesome. and, and for whatever reason, that stuck in my head is like a moment that I had with my brother. And so... 
so I pitched an episode that was about like two brothers and the, you know, the older ones getting older and they're kind of disconnecting and, and it's about danger bike, man. And it's, I feel like there, there's some, there's like a moment or two in that where I was like, this feels like an honest, like it, it's such a goofy concept and it goes through a lot of different cooks in the animation, you know, you got other writers and storyboarders and stuff, but I do think a couple moments like kind of sneak through where you get to really like put yourself out there in a way that you know it's funny because the example example i'm giving right now is one that felt like emotionally satisfying to me um as opposed to like <laughs> to the audience who has no idea of this backstory who probably watched it and uh just thought yeah that's a cute story about two brothers like you know so i it, it's i guess i'm having a hard time answering that question because i'm not sure if i should be thinking about the moments that i felt like i was getting something out of my own work or the moments that I hoped I was the audience was getting the same thing. And, and, and I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works, I guess. I'm not really sure how that um, how that relationship works. Yeah. And I don't either. And I was but I was fascinated by the element of you talking about like say, you saying something about how something sometimes seems to happen in the work when you embody it as you're creating it. Or when you when you really are using it as a way to work through something and then get it out of your system. Yeah, I think you know. Okay, so I think I, can, I think I can clarify that. I think I get where the sort of disconnect here is happening, and for me, it is almost better understood as that the writing or the drawing or whatever the thing I'm making is is like a performance for myself in the moment. Um, so like I'm a dancer, for example, let's say let's use, let's use dancing as an analogy. And it's like, okay, you might be up on stage and like really feeling it, um, in that moment. And it's like inside you feel you get, you're nailing it. You're in the zone, right? Essentially. So when, when you bring yourself to that place, like emotionally, it's like, you're in the zone. You're, you're like, I got this idea and I'm, I know that I'm communicating it, but it's kind of ephemeral in the way that I don't know that that resonates and like hits is, is like a, it's not like a one-to-one where, I'm doing this and then the, the audience is feeling it. But I think overall they feel that like you were being genuine. You were telling some sort of emotional truth in that moment. I don't know if they're picking up like specifically what you were putting down. Um, but I guess that's kind of what I was getting at is like, there's, there's moments where if you get yourself in the zone and you're feeling it and it, it's, but again, I feel like it's kind of almost like a performance. It's sort of like lost to the sands of time. It's, it's uh, everything's changing. It's just a river, you know, you're like, it's flowing through me and I'm, and I'm, I'm feeling it right now. And then it's, I don't know, revisiting those same moments. I'm not sure I would like feel the same way that I did when I was writing it, but I, but I hope there'd be like something there that like an audience could connect to. Is that- yeah. It, I, it makes total sense to me. And I also, uh, it reminds me, I wish I could remember the exact quote where it came from. I cannot, I, it was a podcast listening to an actor. I think it was an improv uh, someone with the improv background just talking about how one of the things they tell you to do is to think the thoughts that your character would have, even the stuff that nobody's ever going to hear or ha- or anything, because it just picks up through osmosis. There's just a presence to being fully embodied. And I agree, like I remember, there have been plenty of times where, and actually I, I think it's a really interesting distinction because there have been plenty of times where I thought like I'm in the pocket, I'm in the zone, I'm, I'm, I'm in the magic. And then it's helped. It was so, it's been incredibly helpful to have someone like my wife to go through life with me. And because 
sometimes I will say that and she'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm not getting that. Uh, and then there's other times where I was feeling it and then I would, you know, get off stage or show her the art or whatever. And she'd be like, that is something like I, whatever that was, I, I felt it. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, just the other day, my, my wife was uh, asking about a book that I had finished a draft of sent to my agent. She had good, my agent had some great notes on it and uh, I just never followed up and finished them. I still, you know, and I would kind of forgotten about this book and uh, cause I've written so, so many books at this point. I just, I, I was just, there was a period after this, I was just cranking out books and, uh, have yet to actually find a home for any of them. But this one, I had just kind of forgotten about my, my wife brought it up and was like, are you, are you going to finish that? And I was like, I, I don't know. Like I got all these other things going on. She's like, you know, there was something about it. Like, I don't know what it was, but there was something about it that like, really, like I think about it. I, I occasionally I'll think about that book. And I was like, that's probably means I should finish it. Like there's, and again, I didn't even recognize I'm not sure I recognize what was like special about it, but it's something like can connect with someone, even if you're, um, and, and again, I think it's just kind of, I don't know. It's, there's a sort of like emotional truthfulness, maybe some, something you're, you're putting yeah. something out there and someone that someone else is picking up. I, I hope, I hope someone's picking I it up. I love that too, because one thing that I, I probably, most of the stuff that I talk about is just trying to uh, present the other side of an equation. Like there, here's an accepted idea and here's just the other, you know, the Niels Bohr thing of the profound, tr- the opposite of a profound truth might be another profound truth. I'm always just like, you know, there's this belief of like, trust yourself, forget the audience only, you know, that kind of thing. And then I think like there's certain people, I won't name anybody particularly, but like, <laughs> no, um, please do. you know, <laughs> like people that get so successful and famous that they get the blank check, full creative control and then something goes wrong with that when, you know, I feel like a lot of my favorite comedy actors kind of fell into that camp of like big, huge success. And the next movie they're doing the directing, they're doing the acting, they're doing the writing. And it's just like, nobody's doing the thing that your wife did there, which was like, well, let me just like pick and choose some of that. Or I just think it's an interesting, I just think we're like maybe touching on something interesting of that the process of trying to do the emotional, honest thing, and then also checking in with people that you trust and that ebb and flow. Yeah. I think, I think in a way, my total lack of self-confidence, which isn't, I don't think is evident to the, to the outside world at all, because yeah. I, I think I come off like a, but, but my, my internal, like total lack of self-confidence is almost sort of can be, can be an advantage in a way where you go, well, I assume everything I make is, you know, not fantastic. It's, it's not like it's, it's all just kind of whatever. And then, um, but that does kind of let you get out of your own way a, a little bit. It's, it's yeah. it causes a whole mess of other problems. Don't get, I don't agree. get, don't I, get I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the plus side is that you don't, you don't hold anything you do to be precious, which which can actually be a little bit of an issue for me because I think I tend to abandon projects uh, maybe too quick. Again, I could blame it on my ADHD, but I could also blame it on um, the fact that you know I just I just don't think anything I do is that good. So it's like, well, it's fine. We I'll just do another thing. Like it's it, I can just kind of dismiss this thing. Um, but it's so it's nice when someone else picks it up and says, oh wait, no, 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 there there was something good about this one. Go back there. Uh, because then I, I, I'll take the, I'll take their truth. I'll take that as like a, oh yeah, sure. If they, if, 
if they said it, I'll, I'll believe that, but I won't really believe myself always um, about the quality of the things I'm doing. I feel exactly the same. Very much relate to that. I have two, two other questions real quick. If you have time, Um, I have nothing but time. I'm fine. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's great. The first thing is one of the things that really stuck out with Fisbee and thematically was this idea right from the get go. It's very clear that like this hero is not a chosen one. They're not different. They don't have any special abilities, but they do. They're they're making. They're taking a bunch of effort. They're ta- they're making it a ton of notes. They're open to learning. To me, it felt like it felt like something we talk about on the show every once in a while, which is the growth mindset of just like being being like, look, I don't have any innate special thing, but if I apply myself, try it out, I'm I will be able to get somewhere interesting or at least have a good time trying. And I thought it's interesting too, like you talking about going and being the worst player on the hockey team. You know, I love, I love playing basketball so much. I love it, but I'm awful. I cannot bear the embarrassment of being (laughs) terrible. And, and also that happens anytime you, try something new. You don't know, are you going to be the worst player on the team? And I, and I just thought it was interesting that kind of pattern between this character, Thisbe, who's like, look, nothing special, but I work at it. And do you feel like that is a proxy for how you feel about all the stuff that you've done? Yeah. You know, what's funny is I had never considered that, (laughs) which is hilarious. Cause like, I I was just talking about, you know, being thoughtful and whatever, but, uh, you know, I, I've never really like, um, I I do think of myself that way as, um, you know, I wasn't, I was, I wasn't into it at the time. I I will specify. Uh, but I have since gotten, I read, been reading a lot about the last couple of, basically in my, you know, last number of years, been reading a lot about like Buddhism, Zen Buddhism and stuff. And they, they call it the beginner's mind or, you know, where you're, you're sort of like open to, to new things and always kind of thinking of yourself like a beginner and in a, it kind of, I think like approaching things with that sort of like freshness, that sort of like, uh, ability, open, open-mindedness. Um, I do think that it really helps you it helps you get rid of that embarrassment and the embarrassment like definitely haunted me a lot through my through my 20s I would say and then like by the time I got in my 30s I was just kind of like man I don't care like I just don't I don't have and and even more is like being a dad is like I don't have time to be embarrassed I, I ain't got time to bleed like I just <laughs> I gotta get it over with like I don't care yeah um and sort of taking myself less seriously there's I, I think I've always been a pretty um this might be true about a lot of people who sort of do humor, uh, professionally, which I guess I'm like semi-professional because I, I write comedy stuff sometimes, but, um, <laughs> sometimes people pay me for jokes. I don't know. Uh, but I, I think <laughs> it's a funny way to put it, but like, yeah. uh, I, you know, I always took myself really seriously though. I think like, that's like, a, I, I don't know if that's true of a lot of like people who do comedy, if they like, if they tend to be like, well, I can talk shit on myself, but if someone else does it, it kind of hurts my feelings and I get like, and I get, and I take myself too serious and I'm afraid of him being embarrassed and kind of stuff like that. And I think, I think I've kind of gotten over that and, and, you know, it's funny, but it's funny. Like I've never made that connection to Fisby. I always knew, like, I, I always knew I, I like protagonists who, who aren't special, who are, uh, 
yeah, I just wanted someone who was just normal. Like they just, she wasn't even that smart. Like that was at first, at first I was like, when I was first coming up with the idea, I was like, and she'll be like really smart and like good at figuring out puzzles. And I was like, no, no, forget that. Like, she's just a normal person who tries hard. And it's like, instead of being smart, what if she just like took good notes? And, and, and that's actually like really inspired um, by my wife who is super, super smart, but also like a very diligent note taker. And I feel like, I remember like, I think that's probably where the idea came from. Cause she was in school uh, at the time when I was like working out of like med school and all the work that she was putting in and just like, and I, and I started to realize things about myself. Like I was never a good student. I was never, I never took good notes. I always, always just intuition flying by the seat of my pants. And so, it is, so in a way she's a little different than me. The, this, the character that is a little different than me, but, but I, I had never made that connection that, that you had suggested, uh, which is actually really, really enlightening. Thank you for that. It's fascinating <laughs> to me because, I, you know, as I started reading it, I thought, cause my son, we started reading it together a while back. I think the first time I ever talked to you I'm, I'm on Twitter and he's just so so much faster at reading. He's a reading maniac. I don't, it's, it gets it from my wife way more than me. And he just like could not wait for me. So he just blew by me and read the whole thing. <laughs> and, uh, and he loved it. And he, but when I was reading it, when I was starting out, you know, I grew up, I, I don't know what it is about me that is this way, but I might've been growing up in the Bible belt where there's just a lot of like divine, You've been given this thing. And I, and I think, so I, I always loved, I always personally loved like the chosen one, Neo, Harry Potter. I just always loved that. And so the first time I read that sentence, which was a long time ago, my first feeling was like, oh, that's not really my thing to be like, Mm -hmm. they're not the chosen one. They don't have any special powers. I also grew up obsessed with Marvel. So I loved superpowers, right? But then as soon as I, then I just paused and I thought, man, but this is what I want my son to read. This is, I want him to, there's something about the, the superpower thing, the talent obsession, the, the chosen one destiny thing that is, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Carol Dweck mindset, growth mindset versus fixed mindset. All of those like predestined you talent perspectives are in the fixed mindset and it's the main thing that gets in between people succeeding or not. And it's basically like, if you start a test and you think, Oh, I'm not going to be good at this. I'm going to instantly give up because if I, the fixed mindset says, if I fail this, I didn't just fail this learning experience. I am a failure. And so you run from challenges, you run from trying. And I thought this book is such a good kind of metaphor and, and just story that really illustrates the point of the growth mindset. And so I've, that's one of the reasons, but that's just one of many reasons I loved it. But that's the first thing that stuck out to me. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really glad your, your son likes it, by the way. I, I it's, it's funny. It's, it, he loved it. The, the book, the book is like, it didn't like sell that well. The sequel didn't sell that well, but, but anytime I've met someone who, who read it, they're always, they're always very, very glowing uh, about it. And so that's, that's been nice. Unfortunately, I won't get to finish the series cause they, they bought two. And then I, I and I had, I had a, a way it was going too, which I'm not going to not, not to be sad on the, on the show. It's fine. Um, but y- you know, I do think that, there, I think that it's all, it is almost like a superpower that you have to develop yourself, which is 
the ability to change and to be, and part of that, it comes with the openness to new things, the beginner's mind. And, and I, I try to look for opportunities to, to do that, to change not just my path, but my outlook on something to like, for example, this is a small thing, but um, we had mentioned that other show, which maybe we should just mention by name that other podcast. You are a storyteller. You are a storyteller. Called. Yeah, they're um, on our podcast network. Yeah, so, so I, yeah. I knew that. So I figured it's not like the cheap plug is, it's fine. It's but like, fine. for example, I, I when I, I listened to your show, the one that they were on, which is how I found them. And uh, I was immediately very turned off by it. And I was like, this is not, um, and I thought, you know, like, what, 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 what do you have to lose? Like, just open yourself up to a different thing. And so I, so I listened to some of their, their shows and kind of tried to approach it with an open mind and thought, oh, there's actually a lot of good stuff here that I can learn from. And I, I try to look for opportunities to do that because I, I do think it's important. It's, it's important. It's the older you get to, the harder it gets to, to change your mind and you, you just become kind of rigid and inflexible. And there's just, uh, it's kind of the worst way to be, man. You just gotta, again, go with the flow. Just like, uh, you know, like open yourself up to new experiences, uh, be, yeah. be okay with failing. Um, and, and I'm just, for example, right now, I, I feel like I kind of failed as an author a little bit, which is interesting. We're talking about how, how much you love this book and whatever. And on the on the flip side of that, just to be, I don't mind being brutally honest. Uh, you know, I feel like I tried the book thing. I wrote, uh, I sold these two books. I've written other prose books since then. I haven't been able to sell any of them yet. So I, I kind of look at it almost as like, well, I, I feel like I tried that and I kind of failed at it. And it's not to say that I won't write more books or that I think I'm a bad writer. It's just, it, it didn't really pan out. And so now I'm, I'm trying some new paths. And one of the things that I'm doing is like teaching myself uh, unity and trying to learn how to make video games. And it's, which is something I've always been kind of floating around tangentially. And, 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 and I'm, I, you know, I was telling my, my wife and a couple of my friends saying, you know, it's kind of embarrassing a little bit to be like, or at least I feel like I, I should be maybe more embarrassed by it to be a, uh, in my late thirties and like learning, doing these tutorials, which are like, you know, clearly like probably written by like a 17 year old or whatever. And, and it's like, but who, who cares? Like, it's, it's fine. Just, uh, be bad at something. Just, just, you know, um, that's the only way you're going to ever get to a point where you're happy with it is just trying new things and being all right with kind of, you know, flexibility. That's a, that's a, it is good. I, I, uh, I love that. The openness to experience. That's one of those qualities they talk about a lot in the brain science of creativity is just, are you open to new experiences? And I, I don't know if I am really naturally like that, but I think similar to you trained my brain to not make instant judgments of things and take the good, leave the bad. And in terms of that, you know, you are a storyteller, their particular way of approaching stories. I, I actually think that one of the elements of what's so great about their take is that I think it introduces a piece to the story structure system that is pretty missing. I don't see a lot of people talking about it the way that they do. And I think because it's their thing, they're doing that thing, but they're, but it's a, it's a, it's not that simple. There's a bunch of pieces to it. Um, so I relate to what you're saying I, and I totally understand it. And I think the biggest takeaway from all that for me is just that openness to experience, even to the, even down to, and I see this all the time with creative people listening to an album and not judging it for on at first blush, just being like, okay, I didn't like that. And especially when you're like trusting someone who you, who you do trust their taste of and just being like, I'll just, let me give it again, a go, another go. Like so much of my creative development 
has happened by with that beginner's mindset of like, I don't understand it. I'm not, why am I going to jump to, and, 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 I, and I talk about taste a lot, but I'm really interested in acquired tastes too. So I feel like all that is super relevant. Yeah. And it's, interesting. you know, it's, and it's, uh, it's not bad to dislike things. I think people get really, I suppose people are personally offended when they don't like something and it's like, man, nah, it's fine. I just don't like it. Like it's, you can not yeah. like stuff like, and you know, and like you said, you know, maybe if you gave it another shot, maybe you still wouldn't, but, um, I don't know. Just, uh, just relax. You know, everyone just needs to relax, man. You know, the, your whole story about publishing, I just launched a class on Skillshare that is titled about social media when it's, it is that, but it's more just how to build your practice on a direct relationship with your audience rather than I'd have no problem. I publish books. I do client work. I'd all kind, you know, I'll do that stuff when the flow flows to me to do that stuff. I'm all, I'll do it. That's great. I love having collaborators and people that can help me do things I can't do on my own, but I do just, I just wanted to highlight an encouragement to you. Not that I'm in the place to do that, but I just wanted to say like, I think the publishing world and, and getting a, a hit book or particular sales or whatever, it's been my experience that that is just not, doesn't have a lot to do with meritocracy. It's such a bloated system with so much timeliness, you know, that. I do think you were, we talked about this at the start, like all the editors and publishers that I talk to, they're so focused on time. Like, oh, this is the perfect time for this, which I also think is crazy because it always takes like two years to get the thing out. And <laughs> yeah. you're like, how, you're not gonna, how are you gonna time that thing? So anyway, I hope, my, my point was, I hope that you do finish Fisbee for my sake. And I just would, you know, I'm just also just highlighting for anybody that's listening the idea that building your practice on those deep connections with people rather than like hitting a particular timely event and, a, you know, putting too much weight on that kind of thing has, be, has been a distraction in the past for me. And I just hope, I hope that you do make a third one because I'll read it. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I, I will say, uh, I know we're wrapping up, but I will say that one thing that I wish I had done uh, just practical. If you want practical advice, I've given basically no practical advice this entire time. So I'll give one piece of practical <laughs> advice. If you are publishing, uh, I would highly, highly recommend if you can afford it, uh, which is the catch of course is like, well, you know, if, you know, authors aren't paid that well, if you can afford it, hiring someone to do PR for your book ahead of time, you have to hire them mm -hmm. ahead of time. I learned this the hard way. So I had released the first Disby sold. Okay. Uh, the second one sequel was coming out just, sequel to net went nowhere and it's kind of the problem with sequels and what i wish i had done is that the you know the publisher really didn't put any juice behind it and it turned out after the fact when i talked to other authors they said oh yeah you gotta hire you gotta hire uh a, your own pr and i was like well you gotta hire yeah. your own pr no one told me this and so i wish that someone had told me ahead of time that it's it's really in your advantage too and if you can't hire someone you can do it yourself it's a ton of work um, but you've got to start like early at minimum of like six months before the book comes out. And you got to be hitting that hard. Either you're doing that yourself or you're paying someone to do it. But that's something that I did not know is that you got to lead in really, really hard. You can't just like release a book and then after the fact be like, oh, hey, here's my book. Check it out. 
that was a hard, that was a hard, hard learned lesson for me. And having uh, done books with other people who did hire PR and watch that thing happen. My first book I ever did, which was a tiny coloring book. We did that and it was everywhere. The book was a success. And then other ones, not, not as much, <laughs> except for the ones where I was like, I'm put, taking this on, you know, on my own, I'm going to push like crazy. I, I think that I'm really glad you mentioned that. Cause I think this is something we go back to over and over on the show is just the relationship between, I talk about it through the lens of the hero's journey, just cause it makes it more palatable <laughs> for me. There's the getting the elixir and then it's bringing it home. Like, are, are you going to, there's a whole other journey after you have the thing of getting people to give it a try, right? Like, and I think that, yeah, I think that's really fantastic practical advice. I personally loved all the impractical advice throughout just as much. Um, I felt uh, so excited to be able to chat with you. And this was this was a blast and I hope we do it again. Yeah, I love being on it. I'd love to do it again. Awesome. Thanks, Zach. Buddy, you are awesome and so inspiring to me. He's one of those people who really acts as a continual reminder to get back to the purity of why we make stuff. And uh, and he's just that kind of person uh, in my life. And he inspires me in that way. I hope he does the same for you. I, I hope you go read his books and check out his work. He's also done work for the Rick and Morty comics. He's just a creative powerhouse and an inspirational guy. Um, thanks for giving us your time, Zach. Massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and jingle. Thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing this show so well. And thanks to Katie Chandler, Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller, the whole dang creative pep team. Um, for content assistance. And um, until we speak again, stay pepped.